Well, good morning. It is great to have all of you who are uh, joining us online and all of you that are in the room right now. Uh, it's absolute uh, delight to uh, have you here. So as Miles was saying, um, a little bit of a different kind of uh, message this week and next week. Uh, you know, we take uh, time uh, a couple times a year to make sure that we uh, focus uh, on something that is about uh, the leadership of what we're trying uh, to do, what God is uh, calling us uh, to. And so I want to take some time this week and next week uh, to talk about that uh, some. And something that I didn't get to do uh, yet because uh, I uh, was out of town uh, last week. And since we were able to kind of tally up uh, all of the year-end gifts that came in, I haven't had a chance to thank you all personally. And can I just say, Thank you. Like, I, it just blows my socks off, the generosity of this body of believers in this church. And so thank you very, very much. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I talked about at the end of last year was that that year in uh, giving sets us up, like why it's so important as we make plans for this next leg of the ministry season. And we have started working on that. And so I'm so excited about the things that we're gonna get to do. And, uh, and I wanna talk about uh, some of that. And today, primarily, I wanna talk about the why behind it, the values and the heart uh, behind it. Next week, I'm gonna come back and uh, talk in more uh, kind of tactical terms of how we're going to work uh, all of that out. But you know, uh, thinking about this message, uh, it just, you know, some of the stories and things that I run into. Um, I've, I've now had a couple of people that have just shared that just with all the, all the things going on in the world, the tension that they're feeling, even within families, where, where like even within families, it's, uh, people are avoiding people because there's so much tension and, and just the worry and the frustration over some of the conversations that are going on. And as I thought about that, I just thought, you know, that's... Um, that's where the world needs the church. In fact, this thought hit me working on this message, and that is the world needs the church uh, as much as it ever has. Uh, you just, like, you just, you feel that. And I was reminded of it again uh, while I was gone. In fact, it's uh, when I came back. So I got to spend a week on this old, old uh, ranch, just out in the middle of nowhere. And on this ranch, there was no TV, there was no radio, they, and you know, I, like, I, I didn't know what was going on in the world. And if you recall, like not last week, but the week before, there was some stuff going on in the world, right? And so, um, and, and I knew like there was tension and stuff going on, but, but for a week, it was, I just, you know, I was in God's creation and they were just enjoying life and came back. I even remember like the first gas station uh, I came into coming back into town. It was just like people like, I was like, what is going on? And any place there's the TV, the news and the things. And I just like, it was like the world was on fire. Like it, like it was a little bit of a shock to my system uh, coming back. And it's not like I was like, whoa, there's political tension in our country. Okay, like I knew that that was there. It's just absent from it for a week where I wasn't living in it. And then to step back in it is like, man, 
The world needs the church as much as it ever has. Like I, like I just felt the importance and the relevance of this. And as we think about who we are as a church, uh, moving forward, um, I, this is important. This is important for us as a church. And, and the truth is, I'm excited for us as a church and the opportunity uh, that is in front of us. And uh, it caused me to think about a prayer that Jesus prayed that we see uh, recorded in the Gospel of John. And there's something that he says in this prayer. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers, his followers to be like throughout history. That's, that's you and that's me, right? That's... Uh, many of you that are online, that, that there's this precious prayer that he prayed and there's something specific that he prayed in it that has become a kind of saying that captures what he was after that, that I wanna use as a paradigm as we think about uh, um, what it is that we wanna do moving forward. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 17. I wanna read uh, part of this prayer to you. John chapter 17. Uh, it starts in verse 15. He says this, and again, he's praying. So he's praying to God uh, in this. He says, uh, my prayer is not that you take them, and the them is us that he's praying for. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And this uh, Prayer And it's a lengthy prayer, but this one part that we just read out of this prayer um, launched kind of this saying uh, probably centuries ago, and it's this idea of what it is to be in the world, but not of the world. And it's this great idea to be in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus prays this for us. He prays that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus modeled it. And of course, this idea about being in the world is um, the idea that you can engage with people within the world, that you can, that you can relate to people, that you don't have to, de to deny your humanity uh, in order to be spiritual, that, that you can be human and be who you are and relate to people. And you think about Jesus, he rubbed shoulders with uh, all kinds of people. He spent time with uh, skeptics and sinners, with Romans and rabbis, uh, with, um, with uh, prostitutes and the pious, and just like every category of person you think of, like, like Jesus was able to engage them because he could be in the world. That, that's what that sense of it is capturing. And of course, this idea that he was not of the world, and he prays that we would not be of the world um, is the idea that we're not dependent on, our faith is not in the systems, the power, the, the, the things of this world that hold up what is good or what makes you safe or what makes you secure, that, that we're actually not of that, that we're actually putting ourselves in something different. So when you look at Jesus, he wasn't of the world. He didn't, he didn't live by the fears and the petty concerns that you see in the world or the selfishness or the politics or the power plays or the worldly kingdoms that you think of in the world. He just, he wasn't of those worldly kingdoms, but he was in the world and he could connect with people and he was so real. And, 
as God coming in the form of a human, he showed us his humanity, right? And, and this is really powerful because as he prays that for us, I think to be able to exist that way is really important in all of uh, this. And, and I think about this, Jesus was able to do this. He was able to be in this world and relate with people because he wasn't anchored into the power structures of this world. He was anchored into something else. He was anchored into a different kind of kingdom. He was anchored into the kingdom of God. And so as we think about this this morning and we think about Casas and us as a church and where we're going, I wanna go back to that statement that I made at the very beginning. You know, you, you just, you look around and you go, man, the world needs the church as much as it ever has. You know, maybe that's not quite the fullest statement I wanna make there. What, what, what I would add to it is, well, it's this idea that it's not just any old church. The world needs churches anchored in the kingdom of God as much as it ever has. That's what it needs. That's what it needs. And you know, I think about this prayer of Jesus and there's something special about it. We get to be a part of answering that prayer. We get to choose how we see the world and move forward in the world in a way that helps answer what Jesus was praying for to his heavenly father so very long ago. So, let me walk through some things about what that means. And the first thing, to be anchored in the kingdom of God, to be anchored in the kingdom of God, um, uh, means that we as a church uh, want to remain being Christ-centered. Um, and I use this phrase, being Christ-centered, and uh, talking about it with some of our leaders and talking about it with the preaching team even this week and realizing like there's so many different ways that people interpret and think of being Christ-centered these days. And so I wanna just define three things quickly here about what I see as us needing uh, to be Christ-centered in or ways of being Christ-centered. And, and, the, and the list could be more exhaustive. There'd be things we could add to it. But there's three quick things that I, that I just, I want us to be aware of uh, before I get into the rest of my talk. And, and the first one uh, is simply this. <clears throat> it is to be in touch with the love we have for Christ as a person. And I didn't know exactly how to phrase this one, but we all know it. We could phrase this different ways, but, but it's, it's simply this, that as a church, w there is a kind of love that we all experience as followers of Christ that is just, it's like innate to our experience, that, that if you took a little time and thought about it, it's like right there, right? If, uh, if you think at all about like, what is it that caused you? Um, to love Christ, because I'd be willing to bet if I could go around the room, if I could, if I could, you know, reach through the camera here and speak to every one of you that's joining us online right now, and say, like, what caused you to fall in love with Christ? Probably no one would say, well, there was this verse that said you you have to, and so I just decided I have to love Jesus, right? No, no one's like, oh, okay. 
like, you have a story behind it. You have emotion behind it. It's just like, for some of you, it, like there was a moment where you felt condemned by sin or just, you just felt like you'd never rise above failures in your life and you experienced a kind of forgiving grace or something. You're just like, I love this guy. I love God. Like when I understood that Jesus was God, I loved him, right? Or there was something about a kind of unconditional love that you came to experience with Jesus and it caused you, like you didn't have to work at it. You just love him because of how you've experienced him. And this is the beauty of what God did through Jesus, right? God didn't have to come into this world in human form. It's amazing to me, and, and this is one of the things that separates Christianity from so many religions, right? That, that God sent himself, his son, into this world is a human being that we can relate to. And because of this, it, we're able to love Jesus in a way that is so relatable. We understand what he suffered for us. We understand his sacrifice. We, we understand what he endured. We understand, because like, there's things that we have gone through and we know that he's gone through. We, and so we admire him as a human being. We just love him. Now, that may not sound like a huge deal, but I think there's something important, and you'll see it unfold a little bit more in my message later on in this, but I think it's just good for us as a church to understand like, what is centered to us, what we want to keep resting in, is that we as a church share in this experience unique to all of us, and yet there's something shared about it where we just... We love the person of Jesus because it just happened, because of how he treated us, what he pulled us into. Second thing about being Christ-centered that is important is um, that as a church and as people in the church, we want to trust him with our lives. We trust him for how we live. Um, and by this, what I mean is uh, we trust his work and power for what we for how we're trying to live our lives out. Let me, and there's a particular verse that I want to go back to that illustrates this. Uh, flip with me over to a second Peter. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse three, it says this. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life. Isn't that just gorgeous? His divine power has given you everything you need for life. Like, we trust that. To be Christ-centered is to say, okay, Christ's divine power has given me everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, to be Christ-centered is to say, I'm going to organize my life. We're going to organize our church around the belief that our security is in the power of Jesus Christ. We're gonna organize and lead forward as if we really do believe we're gonna be okay because of Christ and his power, that we have value, that we belong. Not because of some earthly kingdom that says you're accepted. Because right, that'll rise or fall. You can lose and win over that acceptance and that's a roller coaster, right? But what we're saying, to be Christ-centered is to rest in his power, that whatever you need for life, whatever God would call you to, 
in the end, you will have power to live through that and in that because of of him. And we trust in that. And in the end, we'll be okay. Um, Years and years ago, I was on uh, uh, California Adventure, right? Um, And they've got like this, I forgot what it's called. It's one of the roller coasters over in California Adventure in Disneyland. And uh, right in the seats in front of me was a mom with her adult son, right? And we get in uh, the roller coaster and it like takes off and it has a, at least one loop, maybe two loops, I can't remember. But as we're going through this thing, there's one moment where we go through the loop and she thought the roller coaster came off the tracks and just screams, we're all gonna die! And she's just like, and her son is like, mom, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, we're gonna die. And then she starts playing, Jesus, here I come. You know, and she's like, ah. and he and her son is like, mom, Jesus has got you. Okay, I'm gonna see. And you know, just and I and I'm just like, and I don't know whether to laugh or to just, you know, try and pat her on, you know, you know which you, you can't really get your arms around. We're going through this whole thing, you know. It was a moment for this poor woman, right? So we get through the roller coaster and now we get off the roller coaster and we're walking out the exit thing. And she's like, I thought we were gonna die. I just, I thought it was gonna be, oh, I thought for sure that thing came off the track. And her son's like trying to console and, and, and he says, Ma, Ma, or called her Ma, 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 when it's your time, it's your time. There's nothing you can do about it. And she looks at her son and goes, it may be up to Jesus when I go, but where I go is up to me. And we're not going on that roller coaster again, right? Yeah. <laughs> Great moment. Great moment, right? Right? We're going to face fears in this life. There are moments where it's going to feel like the car is coming off the tracks, right? And we're, you know, and it just, but, but there's this thing that we hold to be Christ-centered says, okay, but I'm going to keep coming back to even in moments of fear, even in moments of insecurity, the thing I will anchor myself back into, the hope that I will turn to, the power I will try and draw on is what comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ. Not some worldly power, right? That, that's, that, that's what Peter's getting at in this passage here. And that that's to be Christ-centered, that, that we, we're going to trust in his power. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to go be reckless or do stupid things, because uh, then Jesus might go, well, yeah, no, come on home, right? But it's, it's that we trust that when he asks us to move forward in something, he's got us. That's where our security, that's where our value is in all this. Uh, third thing uh, about being Christ-centered, and it's this. We look to Jesus as a model for who we are seeking to become. And let me say, and a model for, for how to live life as a follower of Christ. He, he's, our, he's our example. Like we can turn to him and pattern our life after him. Uh, just a quick, quick verse here, Romans chapter eight. Uh, Paul, uh, one of the apostles, uh, he uh, wrote Romans and he says this, let me find it here, Romans chapter eight, verse 28. He says this, um, and we all know that in all things, God works for the good of who? For those who love him, right? That like everyone who's a follower of Christ, like there's just kind of that in, you just, you love him. And he says like, if you love Jesus, like, like God's working for this end, this good in you. And even more than that, who have been called according to his purpose. Like you get to have a purpose, something beyond just, the kingdoms of this world. And he goes on. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to to the likeness of his son. That he's our model, that, right? That that in the end, um, we can look to him to figure out like how to grow and how to live and how to walk all of this out. So as a church, to be a Christ-centered church, Right? We want to rest in that love that God has. We want to rest in the power that Christ has. And we're going to use Jesus as a model to emulate in how we move forward. And just like picture, picture, like imagine what it's like when a group of people just start, if nothing else, being Christ-centered in the way I just walked out. Like, that's powerful. That's a church that's going to change things. That's a church that can move things forward. That is a church that's a gift to the world. That's the world needs Christ-centered churches, doesn't it? Because that's a gift to the world in the most amazing ways, right? So now here's my caution, though. Here's my caution. It's it's easier than we realize for any church to drift off of this, right? There is a reason why Jesus prays for us to navigate this, this way of being where you are in the world, but not of the world. And the reason he's praying that for us is because he understands, like, you can drift off of that in, in either direction, right? Right? It's easy for churches to, without realizing it, drift into that spot where they find themselves really not being in the world the way Jesus talked about, where they lose that sense of engaging with people and humanity around them, right? And when a church does that, like, without realizing it, they they can begin pursuing something spiritual and lose their sense of humanity. They, when a church does this, they begin looking at the rest of the world and the world becomes this scary place. The, the world becomes the place of, of compromise. The world becomes the place um, that can do you in the world. And so when a church drifts towards that, it, it, it tries to be the protector. It tries to be this bubble, this safe haven, which at first sounds like really good. And I get that, right? Come off of a week's vacation where you get to just take a break from the world and step back into the world and go, oh my gosh, the world's on fire. Like, it's just natural. I want my church to just be a place where I can escape all of this, right? That's just natural. The problem is, that's not our mission. That's never the mission of the church. And when that happens, right, the church... It, it loses its love for what matters most in this world. And that's the love that Christ has for people, for all people. And, and, and we lose potency. And the same can be true the other direction, right? Where a church is no longer um, of the kingdom of God, but it becomes of the world, like it is anchoring itself quite literally to the kingdoms of this world. That, that's where churches become like politicized and, and, and hyper-political. And, 
And I get that too, right? There's moments where you just go, oh my gosh, the world is on fire and bad things are happening. And this, and like, I, like we need to fight this. We need to step in and do, and it's easy to think that you can take a shortcut and pursue a spiritual end through worldly means. But that never works out well either. Like history has proven that when the church leans into that, the kingdom of God doesn't get advanced. And and the church ends up seeing the world and the people in the world around it is the enemy that we fight instead of being a gift to the world. And I don't want, I don't want either of those to happen to Casas. I want Casas to be a gift to our community in this coming year. I want Casas to be a difference maker for the kingdom to, uh, of, of God, to be in the world, but not of the world, because we are squarely anchored in God. That's, that's the vision, that's the dream of what we're after, what we wanna do. Uh, the why of what we're doing in all of this. And as we, as we move toward that, um, I wanna speak just a little bit here about how we move forward in all of that. And again, next week, I'll go into more detail, but I wanna take the rest of my time here and, and talk a little bit about how we move into that. And I wanna go back to that idea of, of one of the attributes of being Christ-centered is that we use Christ as an example So I want to take a simple example of Christ doing ministry in the world and say, there's our example. Here, there's there's something we can glean from Christ in his example that will help us move forward in this next season of ministry. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. It says this, uh, verse 35. Uh, It says, uh, Jesus went uh, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, So Jesus is as kind of an example here, just like there's some things that are really revealing that that I want to make note of here. Um, you know, when you think about Jesus, he traveled a lot. He spent his ministry traveling around a lot. He saw a lot of humanity. He saw a lot of misery. He saw a lot of struggle. He saw a lot of joy, but he also saw a lot of hardships. He saw lepers that no one would come near or touch. But when he saw them, he would, like, because he cared about them. Um, he saw a paralyzed man uh, whose friends were so desperate and didn't know what to do. They, they like ripped the roof off the top of a house to lower this guy down to Jesus. And Jesus sees this, sees their faith, and he heals this guy. Jesus saw a blind man who had been reduced in his life to just begging on the side of the street just, just to make ends meet. That, that's all he had. And Jesus sees this man. And when he sees him, like he heals him. Jesus sees desperate parents that are struggling with ailments and and illness with their children and they bring their children to him. And Jesus, like he welcomes uh, this. He saw the hurting and the oppressed. He saw people struggling. He saw people struggling with anxiety and hopelessness. And these people see him and you know, like their question would have been like, Jesus, do you see me? Do you care? And what I love about the text here 
is it says that when Jesus sees the crowds, when he sees these people, right? Look at the text. What does it say? Jesus had compassion on them. Not superiority, not judgment, not condemnation, but compassion, right? That's, that's what he had for them. And it's because he just saw people. Like there's this quality about Jesus. And I don't want you to miss this because this is something we can learn to emulate. Jesus saw, he just saw people. He saw people beyond the labels because when you're anchored into the kingdom of God, you see past all the worldly labels and you see people. And that's important. And Jesus models that for us, right? He saw, he saw orphans um, that other people looked at and said, uh, and what they saw, they saw a burden. He saw a woman that was uh, probably forced into prostitution and other people, they saw a failure. Jesus saw a woman who needed grace. Jesus sees a Roman soldier that most people looked at and they just hated the guy, right? He was an occupier. Uh, he, saw, he saw a widow that probably no one noticed. They just passed by, not Jesus. Jesus, right, sees a rich young ruler and other people, they saw him, but they envied him. But what they missed was the desperation and the emptiness that that, that guy was struggling with. Jesus sees all of these people and he sees what they face because he had the capacity to be in the world. And simply put, right, to be in the world, to emulate Christ here is to be able to see past the labels, to have compassion on people wherever they are, whatever their failures are, whatever their struggles, even whatever their differences, whatever disagreements we have with them, it is to be able to see them in that way. And Jesus models that for us. And he does something here that maybe would, that, that would help you. It helps me. Uh, there's a way Jesus sees them that I think pulls him into this ability to have compassion uh, on them. And maybe this is something that you can do that like will help you. Because if you're like me, here's my struggle. There are some people it is easy for me to have compassion with, right? There will be people for us as a church, it will be so easy for us to have compassion for them. And then there's gonna be other people that we're gonna struggle with to have compassion. And it's because we're human. We're human beings that make up this church. But I want you to see how Jesus does this because we want to be able to have compassion for everybody, wherever they are in this. And, and, and here, look at, the, look at the end of verse 36, second half. It says this. Here's how he saw them. They, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks at them, part of what pulls him into the ability to have that compassion is he goes, you know, when I see them, I see what they're doing, I see what they're struggling with. It's like they're sheep that are harassed and they have no shepherd. They have no good shepherd, right? And to have no shepherd, it's like you don't have any place to really belong, right? To have no shepherd means like you don't know the voice of a good shepherd right? You know, earlier when I was talking about like to be Christ-centered, is, is, it's to carry that awareness of this, just this kind of love that you have for Jesus. You know, part of that goes back to 
There is a voice that, that we come to understand. There are things that have happened in your life, moments of grace, moments of encouragement, and you understand in those moments, like somehow that was the spirit of Christ. That was the voice of Christ. There's a moment that calls you forward to do something that is maybe hard or difficult, but you find the strength. It's because you have a good shepherd that you are just like absolutely in love with. And part of our spiritual journey, right, is learning that shepherd's voice, right? We're not gonna hear it perfect all of the time, but there's this thing that we go through and it is a marvelous thing to go through life and, and in the most difficult of moments, lean back and say, okay, I trust, I have a good shepherd and I'm gonna listen for his voice in my life. Isn't that a great thing? And what Jesus is doing is I'm looking on the crowd and that beautiful love, that voice, they don't have that. They just don't have that. And what they're going to hear is just the loudest voice. And there's a lot of loud, worldly kingdom voices in our world, aren't there? And that's all they've got. And sometimes when I'm struggling with someone, and I'm like, I just, you know, and, it's, and, and we're, you know, we're allowed to disagree with people. It's, you know, this is not that you're going to agree with everyone and share the opinion. But sometimes when I begin to see someone more as that label, sometimes it helps me just to remember they don't have that voice. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. And sometimes it pulls us towards just having some compassion. What would it be like to be a church that says we're going to be the kind of church that, right, when we look at people, we don't look at them with condemnation. Sometimes we just recognize they're just, they're like a sheep without a shepherd in this. And you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus is this isn't the place that he just this isn't the place, like he wasn't just a nice loving guy that went around and offered love. Like, like that is good and that is powerful. And without that, like you're not heard. What I love about Christ is, right, there's this thing that he is anchored into that was a part of what he was doing in his ministry. And we see that in this passage as well. And so I wanna, I wanna shift gears here just a little bit because, right, there's this part about being in the world. That's what I've been talking about here, seeing people with love and compassion. But there is a power behind that that is so important because we do not anchor ourselves in the hopes and dreams of this world, right? Look back at the passage. Look back at uh, uh, verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's the gospel, right? That, that's the kingdom Jesus was anchored into. The thing that he brought was, was not just love and compassion and kindness. He brought love and kindness and compassion that was anchored and tethered into the eternal reality of the gospel, right? And the gospel just in, in this moment, right? Think, I want you to just think of the gospel. The gospel is that good news that through Jesus, life and relationship with God is a 
available to anyone, anyone, right? It, life and relationship is available to anyone. People, like, this is, this is the beautiful thing that the world needs, that, that people that maybe thought that they were disqualified, people that struggled uh, to believe in God, people that struggled uh, to think that God could love them, people that believed they were disqualified because of something they did, people that were just confused over it, people that just didn't know. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Jesus is saying, I'm gonna make this available. This is like the kingdom of God is here and through Jesus, it's available to anyone. You can experience a love that can't be earned and it can't be lost regardless. That's what's available. Um, your sins can be forgiven. Your guilt can be removed. You can be set free. Like to, to be a part of God's kingdom, right? It's like every morning you wake up and every morning is a fresh start. Every morning is a gift from God for you. You have a family to belong to. You have a heavenly father who cares about you. You have a purpose that inspires you, right? Jesus is saying, you know, everyone who loves me, right? Like God's working something good and they have a purpose from that. That's, that's what Paul was talking about that. You have value that does not rise or fall, that is hooked to other kingdoms in this world. The possibilities of grace and goodness, not just for this life, but for eternity. It's just, it's there. And that is the thing that Jesus brought in all of this. And the world needs that, right? And so the thing that Jesus models for us here and throughout his ministry is that he didn't just teach the gospel. He lived the gospel. That's the thing I want you to get. He lived the gospel. He expressed it, but he lived it through what he saw and the compassion that he had on people and the way he engaged them. What the church needs it's not just a church that tells people what they need to do or where they're wrong. The world doesn't just need a church that will just love on them. What the world needs is a church that will love on them in a way that will move them to falling in love with Jesus the way you have. And if you're here this morning and you haven't experienced that or you're online, you haven't experienced that, can I tell you unapologetically, we want that for you more than anything else in the world because that, that takes care of everything else. That, that puts you on a journey, a path, unlike anything you've ever experienced, right? So as we move forward this year, right, the world's not the thing to be afraid of. The world's not the thing that we're gonna fight. The world's not the thing we protect ourselves from. We're the gift, friends. We're the gift. We get, we get to see the world the way Jesus saw the world. And we get to continue introducing the hope and the love and the compassion of Jesus in the way Jesus did. We get to carry on what Jesus started. That's what I want us to do. That is what I am challenging you to in this next year, that you will find ways to join with your brothers and sisters in Christ and those outside to move towards that. And next week, next week, 
uh, we're gonna talk about the tangibles of how we will live out that commitment to be that kind of Christ-centered church in our world. Because that, that I'm excited about. That, that's the thing that we long for. So join us next week as we walk through where we go from here. Um, let, me, let me close us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much um, for your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that he gives us. And Father, the thing that we pray is that it doesn't stop with us, that it is through our actions and our love and our care and the way we treat people that ultimately magnifies the message of your kingdom and of the gospel, and that more and more people will come to see the beauty of your acceptance and grace. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great morning.